Welcome to the roundtable on Dog Post. Georgia wrapping up with um, three, certainly two major top 100 recruits. Josh Kendall joining Dean Luggy this week. Fletcher Page will be back eventually. Where is Fletcher anyway? What is? Do you feel bad about? I don't know. Do I feel bad about taking Fletcher's place? No, no, not at all. <laughs> not in the least. Uh, Josh, you know, really for for Georgia. Uh, recruiting has become such a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal for everybody, but let me just review for everyone who already knows uh, what's happened here at Georgia. They've gotten uh, they've, they've gotten near the top of the team rankings for the services who provide those. Uh, so they're at either number two or three. Uh, ESPN has been a little slow about getting theirs out, but this past weekend, uh, Georgia picking up three commitments. The, the headliner, probably John Emery, who is a Running back from the New Orleans area, five-star kid for some places, uh, and then on top of that, uh, Rain Davis, R I A N, uh, Josh Davis, a linebacker from Apopka, which is uh, Orlando area, and then uh, Makia Tong, whose father played in the NFL. He's a, lives in Baton Rouge. He's the guy that's a little bit more of a mystery to me, but having watched the other two kids play. Georgia's adding a consensus top uh, a five-star running back again in this class and uh, a, a linebacker who is very, very good. Now, Matt DeBerry and I will talk sometime soon about what these, these uh, kids do. Um, but Josh, when you, what do you think the league thinks about where Georgia's at with recruiting right now? Uh, what, what's your take on that? Well, I think everybody in the East thinks, how are we going to keep up? I mean, I, you know, there were indications um, last year, certainly, even maybe slightly before that, but there were indications last year that Georgia staff was going to recruit really, really well. Um, but you can always, if you're a, an opponent or even a, a, a Georgia fan can probably do this, just depends on your perspective on things, can think, wow, we, read, we really had a great year. But that not necessarily means everything has changed. You know, the more Georgia gets these types of recruits, and they just, I mean, they seemingly never stop. I can, I can tell you from, a, from a, an opposing viewpoint, it seems like it, it never stops. It's got, I know it makes South Carolina fans, and I'm sure the same is true for Tennessee, Florida, et cetera, fans think, how in the world are we going to catch these guys if they keep adding dudes like this? And I would imagine that the coaching staffs, even though we know coaches never look at star rankings, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, feel the same way. To some to some degree, I mean it's not it's not the ultimate deterrent certainly, but it's you know it's it's the biggest factor. Talent's yeah. the biggest factor. So I'd, I'd say it's seventy five percent or more. I mean when when you look at why South Carolina was so good for a five years four year stretch, we'll call it. They had generational players for their university that were all playing at the same time. Connor Shaw, Javion Clowney, and Marcus Lattimore led the way in their best teams. They weren't all three there at the same time in some situations. Sometimes. But, Stephon Gilmore, Alshon Jeffries, exactly. yeah, and you, you, all of that crew crossed over in some form or fashion. They did not go to Clemson, see, and that yeah. that was the thing they could have. A lot of those guys are from South Carolina, with the exception of Connor Shaw. At Georgia now, what's happening is um, now Nolan Smith, the arguably the number one player in the country, he is classified as a, a Florida recruit, but he's from Savannah, so. Uh, beyond him, you've got the best players in Georgia, with a few exceptions, are all going to Georgia. 
And then they're, Josh, they're taking these kids who are, they're plucking kids from, you know, wherever, Florida, Tennessee, now Louisiana. Um, in theory, they could see a junior college kid from Kansas pop on this list here sometime soon. It's, uh, he, who grew up in Minnesota. So it's a, it's a diverse recruiting area. How, how are they, do you know much, can you explain to the audience from your perspective anything about how college football coaches or college coaches in general know where these kids are at such a young age? Because a lot of these kids committed to Georgia even earlier than than now. I mean, they committed either going into their junior years, which means you have two years of film, if that. How, how do they know what they're doing? How do they identify which guys are going to be players? Yeah, particularly if they're not from Georgia and they've only gone and played two years of high school football. That That's kind of the, the hard thing to do here. Well, I think that, that to, you know, Nick Saban, and, and I don't want to trace everything back to Nick Saban, but just this is the first thing that pops to mind. You know, Nick Saban created, and I don't know if this was an Alabama thing or probably prior to Alabama thing, a fairly um, codified set of parameters for position groups in terms of recruiting. And they are, you know, check check these boxes. Except, you know, uh, safety's got to be this and that and run this and that. Uh, corner's got to be this. Right, right on down the line. So I think that part of it starts with a just an absolutely systematic approach to recruiting. And as we know, everything that Saban, the way that Saban does things is spreading through the SEC more and more like a virus every day. And that's the way Will does things here. It's the way Kirby does things there. It's the way Pruitt's going to start doing things at, at Tennessee, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, you, you know, you, you look at the type of guys who fit your position, you, you cast a wide net, and, and I don't care what these guys say. I mean, I, I, don't, think that, I, I don't think that they trust – recruiting sites evaluations more than their own but all these guys and all these staffs use recruiting sites to find names to 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 make sure they know who's out there at various places where they may not have a coach who's in that high school ever until it's time to recruit a kid there's no way they i mean if they're if you're depending on the dot coms you're doing it the wrong way i mean there's i've been underneath a 24 7 umbrella i've been a scout forever. Those guys do a good job, but they—they're not. Should that can't be what you're doing? I mean, that—that's guy that can't be the starting point of what you're doing. I think it no, has I to think be. That's the back, I think that's the backstop. I think that's that. Right. I, I think that's the backstop. It has to be extremely granular. It has to be meticulously organized, and um, no stone can be left unturned that's the important part here is you just you're kind of seeing the power of what this program can do under kirby's meticulous recruiting efforts he was always known as a recruiter always this is the same guy that got no Marino and caleb king to both commit to georgia in back-to-back years i mean they i mean no Marino was a straight-up killer um, and he was going up against Urban Meyer, who was the best recruiter of that time, and he got him over um, Urban. So it's it's really I do wonder how meticulous this has become. Um, and on top of that, I think I wonder how many guys can slip through the cracks because they are um, they are 
I don't think Georgia's going so early that it's it's concerning, but I think that guys can change from their junior season to their senior season. Certainly, they certainly can change from coming out of their sophomore season going into their senior season. I mean, that's when you change the that's when you change a lot as a high school kid, uh, physically and so forth. I, it is a it is a balancing, challenging act for sure. I I, I don't envy them. Well, but but that's what I say. I think that they've been doing this. They meaning college coaches, and that knowledge kind of siphons down for a long time now in terms of evaluating which of these players are how these players are going to develop, which ones are going to be good. And you're right, that's that's vital. But I think we see that they do it better and better. There are fewer of these guys who everybody offers a scholarship as a freshman, and then it are just no good. You know, I I think that they're the they keep doing it and they keep getting better at it. We are. When does South Carolina start camp? Friday. Report on Thursday. Practice on Friday. I believe Georgia has the same schedule, although we still don't know, as of Monday afternoon at three, <laughs> what is going on. So that's a little disappointing for some of us who have schedules. Um, what do you, What do you? I mean, the beginning of camp, the first couple of days. You see some interesting things. You see things you hadn't seen before, new players, etc. And then you get into about 10 days into camp, or maybe even six days into camp, and there's almost a reset of what happens out there. Uh, What are you going to be looking for? What should fans want to hear coming out of Athens these first couple of days? Let's just say, I mean, they start Friday, by Monday. you know. And the other thing, too, too, Josh, is, you know, they Georgia's having an open practice, completely open practice on Saturday. If you you know, if if you want to see what we see, you know, that's a that's a great time to check it out. And South Carolina's been pretty open for a long time too. But what do you think fans should want to hear in Athens on Monday, uh, over this weekend of say three and a half three practices, whatever it will be? Well, the, the, for, for my money, the most interesting things like day one, the first time you lay eyes on a team, you know, is uh, practicing in earnest this time of year. Position changes, and, and that includes where or whatever freshmen you might, you know, think might contribute in some fashion, where they play it. You know, you, we, you see a lot of guys who come in as a safety or a linebacker or an outside linebacker or a D end or whatever or whatever, or as a guy who was playing third-string safety last year, now wide receiver, stuff like that. So check those boxes, um, see who's where. And after that, it's as, as much as, in my experience, as much as looking at it, it's listening to what they have to say. Who, I think that's who? interesting. If you have listen to everyone, what, who? the coaches and the player. Well, and, and, and scripted. And have to say. And, and scripted. No. Go ahead. In, in interviews. Oh, you, so you listen think interviews, interview, you think interviews matter. Well, I don't think that in most in, in a lot of cases, the thing that a player person says, if you just take, you know, the coach said this, well, you know, that may, I don't know. I don't take a ton of, uh, of put a ton, a, ton, a ton of stock in that. But if you'll notice that there are patterns, that names come up, yeah. you know, so look for, look for the names that come up, especially of young players. You know, just, just watch for patterns, more so than, than they said so it, that, that this one person said X about this freshman. 
it's, you know, I've now heard that freshman's name six times. Or they keep saying, everybody keeps saying that so-and-so caught the ball well. um, Or uh, Holyfield, you know, everybody keeps saying that Holyfield looks good. Well, everybody keeps saying, and it comes up over and over, Holyfield probably does look pretty good. And I would look for Holyfield to be, you know, to be more than maybe you thought he was going to be. Some stuff like that. I just, as much as I would look, I would I would try to listen for listen for patterns as to what people are saying. Well, you know, it becomes so message message conscience over conscious over here at Georgia. It's it's hard to knock them off of what they want to what they want the kids to say. And, and Kirby is relatively, I I think relatively honest about what's going on out there he is i mean um that's what it seems like to me and and knowing some of the behind the scenes folks he he basically says what's going on he doesn't give away a bunch of secrets or anything like that but if you know if you know x player is not playing as well as they should be typically that's what kirby will say and he's just straight to the point but I do find it interesting. You're saying that the amount of times a particular player is mentioned rather than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of smoke. I think there are a lot of smoke screens and just plain bad answers. And yeah. but just listen for people. Just listen for the names that come up, and listen for on the on the flip side of that, listen for things that they don't say. I mean, you can man, you got to listen close. You got to pay attention. But but if you, you you can tell a lot about how somebody answers a question and what they don't say. Um, and that, you know, that's really, that's really in the weeds. But if you ask, if you ask a question about how is, if somebody, this is completely hypothetical, but if somebody says, how is Justin Fields playing? How does Justin Fields look out there? And the answer is, he's a great kid. We really like him a lot. Right. His teammates love him. Yeah. Then that's not, you know, that's not, he looks great and he looks ready. That's, I really do like him, but I'm not. Well, going to I think I think one thing ready. too, Josh, at Georgia has become, and and this is not necessarily the case everywhere, is that I mean the vast majority of these kids are top 300 players. I mean, almost all, not all of them, but all, uh, you're getting to the point at Georgia where about half of the kids are top 100 prospects, and so none of them are going to look bad. You know, I just wonder how long it will take for everyone to. There's so few places to make an impact as a young kid coming up at Georgia uh, right now. Right. If you're really good, you can do that. But there's not a lot of starting spots available. And the question it really seems like anymore at Georgia, with a few exceptions, maybe defensive back is one of them, maybe, is how much time is the starter going to play versus – the backup, and at receiver, that doesn't matter. And really, at tight end, that doesn't matter. Defensive line, it doesn't matter. But, you know, running back, quarterback, um, linebacker, and DB, that maybe is an issue, although even at DB, you're, you're rolling guys in there so much. I think they have what they've done is they've made it at Georgia to me and over these last three cycles of recruiting, they have made it to where no one player makes or breaks them. I, I think it would be really, really, really bad. It would hurt their ability to win the league if Jake Fromm was not their quarterback. But they would not just fall off the earth. They would still probably win 
it would still be a 10-win season one way or the other with the bowl game. Uh, if they lost their left tackle, Andrew Thomas, that would hurt them for sure. But that would not prevent them. That might not prevent them from winning the league. That's where they're at right, right now. They're they're at the stage where somebody like Brent Cox, who's an incoming freshman, has been there since September. Excuse me, since the spring. Uh, he's a guy that I think people. I think he could be a three year guy, and he's gone. He'd be a special player. He looks the part at least. But he might have a really hard time playing this fall, like playing a lot of snaps. And uh, just because the guys that are in front of him, DeAndre Walker and Walter Grant, they just. It, it, I think we've had to adjust the way that we listen during things. And and too, and I don't know if this is going on in South Carolina or Kentucky or elsewhere in the league, but there are fewer and fewer media um, availabilities, and that's just how it's been over time. That started with Mark Rick near the end. The 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 amount of kids you could talk to started shrinking. Georgia started giving you kids. That's basically what we've got right. now. I mean, Jeb, we talked to Ble- Jeb Blazevich far, far more often than we ever should have in the, the years that he was here. Uh, he was a very good player for what he was. He was not who we should have been talking to, but I digress. Do you, do you all get fewer and fewer players? Um, yeah, we end up getting the same. The way it works here is you request certain guys, and then they, they scratch the list off. They scratch right. who they don't want off the list. And it ends up, yes, by the end of the year, it ends up being basically the same cast and characters of guys that they pick. And they're not going to pick anybody who says much of anything controversial. They're not going to, you know, they, they it's very much the Saban model of media access. South Carolina doesn't even have a practice that's open this year. Usually they have a fall practice that's open to the fans. They do not this year. They say it's because of the lack of space and they're out of williams Bryce Stadium for a chunk of time because of um, Jay-Z and Beyonce, I believe. Okay. Um, so, you know, so, but, but, but even then, even that, you know, that, that's, that's a far cry from the Spurrier areas where, you know, it, during Spurrier, every spring practice was open to anybody who wanted to come. A lot of fall practices were, but that's just not the way people do things anymore. How often do you, how many minutes a day of practice do you get to see typically? Um, it, of the 15, well, it's more than 15. Uh, I would say, Half of the preseason practices we will be allowed in for the first fifteen minutes, and that's it. So is that stretching, or is that what is that? Um, that's a little bit of stretch, a little bit of individual work, mostly special teams technique stuff, and then uh, it, it usually includes one one period of something that looks like football, whether it be seven on seven or eleven on eleven or whatever. Um, it's nothing great, but it's you know. There's there's a five minute stretch in there that looks like football at times. You know, we used to get about thirty minutes with Mark, wasn't it something like that? Twenty five, thirty minutes, but about yeah, something like that. About twelve of it was stretching, <laughs> and yeah. any, any more, you know, with Kirby and them, it's between twelve and fifteen minutes. It depends, but um, at least at a minimum, they're doing football stuff. You would, you would prefer it be 20 minutes because some of the time that we're eligible to be out there, we're walking to get to the open period. It's that's So that's not ideal. But uh, if you've done it as long as... I'm assuming I can speak to, for you here, but if you've done it as long as, as you and I have, if you can't 
see the basics in 10 to 15 minutes of re for reporting purposes, it's, you know, maybe you're not supposed to be doing this. Um, it's hard, though, if you don't have multiple people to get every single thing that is oh, happening. Yeah. I mean, if you, how many folks out there? Well, how many people go out there for the state? Sometimes it's you just you. Do. Sometimes it's just you, though. But no, it's, it's sometimes, but, but mostly it's, it's uh, there's a second person there from the state doing the open periods. Mostly there, too. Sometimes just one, but mostly two. Well, you know, Georgia's probably 180, or it's probably 170 yards, 100 foot, one 100 uh, foot field, one 100 yard field, and then the other one's like, what is that one, like 60 or something like that? That goes up to Millage. Is that one? Yeah, long since I've been out there, I can't remember. Well, anyway, it's not 200 foot fields, but 100 yards is long enough, nevertheless, 150 or so. And they, Georgia just practices all along those fields. I mean, it's tough to watch. And if you sit there and watch the quarterbacks the whole time, which I have done more than I should the last three years, certainly Georgia 15, 16, 17, I will not be hanging out watching the quarterbacks as much this fall. But if you sit there and watch them for four minutes, you're, you've wasted all of your time. You're not doing. You're not going to be able to do anything. So... And a lot of the stuff we see are fundamentals and so forth. So if you don't have uh, sort of folks that you can rely on to let you know what is somewhat reality-based view on on practices, you're going to have a hard time. And, and by the way, I guess the NFL, is it always open? As far as I know, yeah, NFL practices are open all the time. Yeah. I know in preseason they are, and fans, everybody comes out there. Yeah, and so in those situations are a lot different than college. What's the typical day at South Carolina? Well, South Carolina practices in the morning, so you know they'll they'll generally have a fifteen minutes open for a practice, and then you'll talk to a defensive coordinator after that. And then the next day it'll be fifteen minutes open, and you'll talk to a few players. And the next day it'll be nothing, nothing. And then you next after that you talk to the uh, you do fifteen minutes open, and you talk to the other coordinator. So. Every one of the assistants will have a speaking time in the preseason, and every one of the, assist, uh, the assistants will have a speaking time in the spring, and then that's it. So they basically, the, the assistants, coaches, and including coordinators here, talk twice a year, talk to, to the media publicly twice a year. Well, I know, I know we're, we really are getting into the weeds here of all this stuff. I know I'm sure everybody wants us to talk about Jake Fromm and is Demetrius Robertson going to be out there? There's no guarantee he will. I mean, a Georgia official told me, yes, he has the ability to be to practice, but that doesn't mean that he will be out there. So that's a, that's an interesting. Um, Are they still waiting on to, to to figure out if they get, can get a waiver on him? I mean, well, there's, there's still a possibility he played. There is definitely right? still a possibility that he waves. They are not. I I don't. I don't know necessarily why he would not practice but i did not get the impression that not having the waiver the waiver doesn't matter as far as practice is concerned he can practice right the waiver, waiver right. only matters for playing so see that's what i think fans generally speaking get aggravated with all this stuff it is very meticulous and legalistic um when you start dealing with the ncaa but um if Demetrius Robertson is on this team in the fall, it just gives Georgia another weapon, this time at receiver. 
You know, it's real hard to yeah. s- it's, it's hard, Josh, no matter who you're talking about, to sit at the beginning of the season and say, can this team win a national championship or an SEC championship or what is this team really going to be like? And the number one thing I've always looked at is the offensive line. Well, that's the strength of this program right now. I don't know right. why I don't know why Georgia can't win the national championship other than it's so damned hard to do it. That's 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 it. There's no there's no other like real big mystery. Yeah, I think that they're getting to. I mean, I, 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 the question is, and they still got. I think you got to prove. It. They definitely have to prove it for longer than they than they proved it. But I think that you know, in Alabama, you, you enter every year basically. You, you, you're past the point of looking at Alabama's personnel really closely before you're saying they are a national title contender to begin the year. You just understand that they will be, that even if they lost so-and-so, then they've got another so-and-so who you haven't heard of who will fill the gap. So is Georgia there already? I think that's a little much to say, but if you look at the way they recruited since Kirby got there and the way they continue to recruit, maybe, maybe they are. I, I, I don't know. I think that you've got to prove that over the long haul, but that's that's where Georgia is now. In the, in the not proving – no longer, you know, they've proven, Kirby's proven he can recruit at an elite level. Kirby's proven, Kirby and that staff have proven that they can put all that together well enough to get to the final game of the season. So those things are no longer debatable. But can you can you establish a program that is, every year, just enters the season, no matter who's gone, as a, as a in the conversation as a conference and national player contender? And, and, they may be there because, you know, frankly, it's a good time for an SEC East team to be there because to get to get up in that conversation because the SEC East is thinner than it usually is, thinner than it should be, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I think that's where Georgia is. I think, yeah, yeah, could Georgia – I mean, then nobody's going to be surprised if Georgia's in the, in the Final Four in the college football playoffs. Yeah, but the thing about the final – the Final Four problem is, you know – they're going to, that means they either got to win the league, which obviously they did last year, so it's hardly out of the realm of possibility. But you know, uh, I mean, what if they don't win the league? What is what is the likelihood that for the second year in a row, someone who does not win the SEC is in the playoff? Maybe that's more well, reality. I, I'm sitting here looking at Chip Kelly on the TV screen. You know, you, you start looking at Kevin Sumlin at Arizona. There's the Pac-12 is not ready for prime time. It doesn't look like coming into the season. So the Pac-12 doesn't get in, and the Big 12 has a big old mess. I mean, I I think Clemson has the ability to mess up once or twice, and they're still okay just because of their schedule. You know, we'll just see. Well, now they can't lose to A&M, which I don't think they will. They can't lose to A&M and then lose to Syracuse like they do. You know. They can't have one of these right. mysterious losses, plus a legit loss. But I think that Clemson, I think Auburn needs to beat Washington for for the SEC's sake. If you're talking, if you if you want to fast forward, I think yeah, I think this sort of I think your hypothetical conversation that we're having, then Auburn needs to beat Washington. I think Auburn beating Washington, Washington's pretty good, would help a lot. But UW UW is the one who is you know right. UW and maybe USC are the two schools in the Pac-12. Only one of them would get into the playoff, but the question is which one. Washington could have a real hard time making the argument as the conference champion if they have if they're ten and 
two with a loss to Auburn, and they excuse me, they become eleven and two. They're gonna have a real hard time making the argument they should get in over the SEC runner-up if Auburn beats them. Right. Right. And so, so that's an important. That, that, I mean, that game is critical. potentially important game. Yeah. No, it's really important. Ohio State doesn't really have that situation out of conference. I think they play TCU. All this stuff, by the way, is coming off the top of my head. But they, I think they play TCU in the third week of the season. But Ohio State, I mean, it, it goes without saying, I hope, that everybody's got to handle their own business. And what I mean by that is not losing by double digits at home or, you know, whatever is a really bad loss. Like Georgia lost really bad on the road. But that was their only loss. Ohio State took two bad losses, one of them at home, and the other one was that just bizarre turd laying in Iowa City. I mean, that was bad. So if Clemson right. Clemson is allowed to lay their turd for whatever reason, mainly because I think that the Pac-12 and Big 12 have not really provided killer champions with the exception perhaps of Oklahoma this past year. Again, I'm going off the top of my head, but those two conferences have not pulled their weight getting into the playoff when you consider when you, you know, compared to the SEC SEC ACC and um, the Big 10. The Big 10 how many two-loss champions are ever going to get into the playoff? Has anyone ever gotten to the playoff with two losses? I can't, I can't even No. No, no, they haven't, not yet. And I think that I think whoever wins the Big Ten goes because I, I think that that Big Ten East is so well thought of, and probably rightly so, that, that, the, that the champion of the Big, the Big Ten East champion, as long as they win the, the Big Ten, goes. But, you know, I guess it didn't happen last year, so maybe not. I don't know. I think well, it's a moving target. I think it's, it, is, it is totally a moving target, and you can't get people like that. Like when Georgia lost to Auburn the way they did, they still had their season in front of them because they still had the SEC championship game. When Ohio State lost their second bad loss, see Clemson has never had their second bad loss. They've had their curious, right. they've had their curious loss, but they've never had right. their second loss after that until they played, you know, the SEC school that they played in the playoff, which happens to be Alabama. So they haven't had that yet with. Um, with the Big Ten, it, that's been that's been their problem. Is that Ohio State, man? That that was not a good look. I, it, that was not Urban Meyer. I mean, Florida didn't just get blown out by people when he was their coach, did they? Did I yeah, miss that? No, no, not that I remember. I mean, they never. Uh, you know, they had some hiccups, but never anything that, that resembled that. That was, yeah, that was as bad a loss as any elite team has had, and recent memory are, are these people crazy I'm just watching college football live on ESPN I don't know why I do this to myself but best national championship teams of the BCS CFP era so basically everything since Tennessee won it in 1998 so 20 years they have three of the four teams here and we'll, we'll end with this Josh I hear you probably making dinner or whatever it is in the background we've got this <laughs> The 2001 Miami team, which was a good team. The 2005 Texas team, which beat USC. The 2008 Gator team, which lost to Ole Miss. And that was a very good Florida team. And the 2013 Florida State team, 
Uh, I don't know about them being in there. Are, are we not going to talk about Alabama in any of these? I mean, that 2012 Alabama team won the national championship game by like 100 points. Why would they not be considered one of the best national championship teams? I think the 2008 Florida team was really, really good. Really good. Well, I mean, I I think that when, when they – I remember that sort of similar graphic flashing up on Twitter, and they said, you know, tell me. They, they, they flashed that list up there with the little question, tell us what you think. And my thought was, what I think is you can get a bunch of calls from 205 area code. Because, yeah, yeah I think that – I mean, I, I, I think that it – I haven't done the research on it that they've done, but it it appeared what, to what research? Not have, what research? Well, Come on, I don't know. I assume they put some. I assume they put some effort into it. Maybe I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt too much. But I, those Alabama teams, you know, some one of those Alabama teams needs to be up on, near the top of that list because, yeah. you know, this is this is a different. It feels like this is a different animal. This sort of Alabama is a different animal than we've dealt with in the past. Those teams you just mentioned, those teams that fell on top of the list, those were great teams. And everybody said, man, look at all the NFL talent that you had on that team. That is unique and remarkable. Well, and Alabama's gotten to the point where it just feels like they just do that every year now. That's just what they do, uh, the, who they are. Florida State being in there, I mean, that's bullshit. Come on. Hey, give, give me a break. That that They barely beat Auburn. And that That's no. Yeah. No. So, you know, it, it's, it's tough to get people talking. You know, that's all it is. That, I understand that's, that's all it is. But, I mean, I think the one thing that you could say about this this run Alabama has been on, uh, when, when I was in college, Nebraska was pretty much unbeatable. I mean, they they basically, they won three national championships. They had to, they had to share one with um, Michigan, I guess it was, whoever it was. But they just played a particular way that nobody could deal with. Nobody. And they ground people into the ground. It was it was an amazing sight. But those Nebraska really teams, was. I mean, they, you just couldn't stop them. Alabama right now has been hard to deal with. And it goes back to our previous, you know, the beginning conversation, which is, you know, this Georgia program, is at a minimum threatening. Now, I do think they have to follow up this year with an exceptional year. You can't just have one-offs. One-offs are what Florida State did right. in 2013. That's the question. Right. Was that a one-off? I don't think it is. And the data for that one comes from my brain. I see what they're doing in recruiting. <laughs> it's not that hard to see. I don't right. think. Right. I mean, I think... Every sign points to, to, to the fact that they are building – every sign that we've been able to see thus far points to they're building an Alabama-like program. Now, they still got to go – you know, they've still got to follow through on that. Right. But all the signs so far, yeah, absolutely, are pointing to that. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question that if you're a Georgia fan right now, you're, you're very excited about where things sit. Well, here's, here's the thing. Here's what did in Urban Meyer at, at Florida was, was Nick Saban. So the first year, obviously, Nick was six, seven and six with some curious losses, and some some that were, were not that curious. I mean, they really competed in some of those games. The next year, they lost a tight game to the Gators in Atlanta, which was basically for the national championship in two thousand eight. 
In 2009, the third year, they really broke through. I think they had an undefeated season, if I'm not mistaken, in 2009. And won the national championship at the Rose Bowl, beating Texas. But that loss that the Gators took, that really that ended what was a glorious four-year run for Urban at Florida. Now, what's going to end Alabama under Nick Saban? I don't know. But we're hit. We've hit year three with Kirby. The first year was, you know, not ideal. The second year was a breakthrough with a tough loss to an SEC foe. The third year, can they? Can they break through completely? Um, I don't know, but time will. Well, come. I don't know either, but I also, I also don't think that you know beating Alabama. You says Georgia beats Alabama in the national championship game this year. Alabama's not going to fall off the way Florida fell off. I mean, Nick Saban's not going to have no. They will not chest pains, et cetera, et cetera. They will not. So, I agree. Which is more, which is more interesting from a larger football, college football, global perspective. If you've got two teams. If you, if you did have two teams in the SEC that maintained that Alabama level for a few years in a row, I mean that would be really. You, know, you had that. You had a one-off. You had kind of a one-off of that with the, the Alabama LSU year. But if you could have programs on the opposite side who were really at that, I mean, really, if if not the nation's two best teams, then among the nation's four best teams, I think that that's, that would be really entertaining to watch. You know, you know, the, I'll, I, we'll we'll wrap it with this, and I, I want to get your take before we get off the air here, though. It would be fascinating to see two bordering states fight for uh, supremacy of college football. You've, you've not seen bordering states do that a ton. I mean, Texas, Oklahoma, maybe. Michigan, Ohio State. Maybe. Georgia and Alabama don't have it. They're not traditional rivals. They're not, which is, right. the, which is the weird part. But it does set up to be a fascinating... Uh, You've got Georgia, which is much more cosmopolitan than Alabama, versus you know the Bears' shadow and all these things. It would be an oh, yeah. it would be an interesting thing, and they hardly play each other in regular seasons, and they play each other I think next year. But beyond that, they don't play one another in regular seasons. So it's it's to have that clash in the SEC championship game every December or. Not every December, but let's just say four out of seven years in Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, CBS, the nation, would be captivated by it. Auburn, Alabama is always going to be bigger than Georgia, Alabama. But right. it would be curious to see what that would be like if it were a five- or a ten-year war. I thought Florida and Georgia would have a fight, but Florida's not living up to their part of the thing right now. This recruiting has be, has gone off the deep end for the Gators, but right. Um I would I would be interested to to see Georgia Alabama. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. It'd be fun for everybody. It would be frustrating on some level for the other 12 SEC teams because that's a really high and it's a really hard season to be bumping your head against, but it would be fun. I mean, it would, yeah, that would absolutely be sort of old school SEC type what the SEC thought it was, which is we decide the national championship within our conference and then tell everybody else. Hmm. All right. You hear the music in the background, Josh. Thanks you for, thank you for joining us again next week. Georgia starts their practice. Uh, join us for the roundtable on Dog Post.